This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 244, flashback to X-Men in 1998, part 2. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is uh, one of our flashback episodes, this time looking at a flashback to uh, 1998, specifically the X-Men comics 1998. And when I talk about X-Men, I'm really just talking about Uncanny X-Men and the Ejectables X-Men that was published during this time. Uh, this is a, a recent kind of series I'm doing where... Uh, I picked up a stack. I started off when I picked up a stack of Amazing Spider-Man comics from 1997. I was like, you know what? I haven't read these in a long time. Let's kind of give it a, give it a look, see what's a, if there's anything good here. And then being impressed by some of what I saw, I thought, you know, it's it's worth doing an episode about. And then uh, the second time around, I decided, you know, let's talk about X-Men books. And I was originally just going to talk about Uncanny X-Men. But then when I was doing it, I realized there's no real way to, to just make it about Uncanny. It kind of needs to be X-Men as well, especially because at the end of the year, there starts to be a little bit more crossover between the two, uh, two titles, so it becomes harder to do one without talking about the other. Uh, so let's just jump right into our discussion of uh, the Uncanny, and, Uncanny X-Men and X-Men titles in 1998. We last left off with uh, July, sorry, June's issue of X-Men. So we're going to pick up with... Uh, Uncanny X-Men 357, this is cover dated July uh, for 1998. The creative team is still Steve Siegel, but now we have uh, artwork uh, done by Dan Norton instead, uh, with Dexter Vines, De- sorry, Dexter Vines and Scott Hanna as the guest artists. Um, sorry, guest anchors, I should say. Um, so we pick up, it's kind of one of those weird kind of stories where you have the original X-Men assailed by birds while they're in Anchorage, Alaska. Which is about as interesting as you can imagine. They get kind of drawn into something that's going on in that area. Um, it's it's not very good. Um, now that being said, it is interesting that we're seeing kind of flashback stuff with Regine. Kind of she's looking at the X Men and she sees the way they used to look, and then she sees how they do look, which is kind of a, a cool shot because um, she's wearing her classic Marvel Girl costume, then she's wearing her Phoenix costume. Uh, we see Angel in his classic costume, and then. In the modern, all that's different is he's not wearing a mask and he's blue at this point because he uh, he has his his uh, feather wings again. Cyclops obviously no longer has the cowl in the current continuity at this time uh, and has the uh, same kind of material covering most of his body, although now he's got, again, that kind of strap that goes up the, so- up his, the side of his body and then kind of branches out and goes over his shoulder. Beast is obviously the biggest change with an Iceman going from being a snowman throwing snow in the air to being an Iceman throwing ice in the air. Um, going up against this kind of mysterious mutant, really uninteresting. Um, it's fun to see the original five in action. And again, the idea that you know um, Cyclops isn't quite normal yet. Um, he's still recovering from what happened to him at the hands of Bastion in Operation Zero Tolerance. Uh, so that part's kind of cool, but... Again, it's not the strongest issue, but again, the character work of seeing the original X-Men together is fun. It's just the actual forward plot, it's, it's interesting. I remember there being more plot progression, or maybe I don't. I mean, again, I haven't read some of these comics in a long time. These all came out in 1998. This is you know just about 17 years ago now as we're headed into July comics, which would have come out in May. Um, it's interesting how Siegel and... Kelly were really about slowing things down in a lot of ways because there had been so much development in terms of plot, um, you know, with Operation Zero Tolerance, with with um, 
Onslaught. There was all these kind of plot-heavy stories, so they were kind of bringing it back to more actual character-centric stuff, which is just interesting because we're not used to that anymore. I mean, now it's a lot more plot. Um, part of it's because now everything's kind of usually tightly woven into three, four, or you know, five or six-part arcs. These are just ongoing chapters, and I kind of miss that concept because I think that is a lost art that comics don't really do anymore is really just having subplots developing and having a consistent artist uh, or writer. Um, now, this particular issue of X-Men we're going to talk about, number 77, is Cywar Part 1, which is, it says, Wolverine and Psylocke against the Legion. Uh, Joe Kelly wrote it with Herman Garcia on art, and the art is not very good. Um, Anazi is kind of the foe. Uh, the X-Men are kind of going up against it. At the end, we realize it's a lot worse than they realize, but in fact, it's actually the return of the Shadow King. Um, and the idea that um, Psylocke has kind of been wrecked. Everyone across the world feels the psychic vibrations of the Shadow King as he's going to, as he's now used uh, Psylocke to his own whims, which establishes a long-running kind of plotline that, for a while, Shadow King was almost like Psylocke's own personal nemesis, which is kind of cool that she got someone as her own because. The character, in some ways, had been a little bit rudderless since the Crimson Dawn. Like, she had gotten this cool scar, but maybe some other powers, but it was never really clear as to what. Um, so, again, it was kind of an interesting concept uh, to go on. Uh, one thing I like about looking through older issues is seeing the ads that you see. So, there was a, an ad for Legends of the, of the Dark Knight uh, action figures by Kenner in DC. Um, there's also, and this I remember really well, there's this one-page ad... Uh, on the back of a Skittles ad, actually, which has an ad for Marvel Comics presents the Brawl for It All, Wolverine vs. Sabretooth, Wolverine 126, Wednesday, May 27, 1998. Cast your vote in the Marvel Melee at marvel.com slash Wolverine. Um, I used to love that they used to do kind of in-house ads like this, and it was kind of fun, this big new you know, fight between Wolverine and Sabretooth, because it had been a while since we'd had a proper fight. Uh, maybe well, I think I almost want to say Wolverine 75, because um, Wolverine obviously um, put his claw right through Sabretooth's brain at the time, and they hadn't really come up against each other since. So it was kind of a cool rematch to have it um, advertised in this particular issue. Uh, next up is going to be Uncanny X-Men 358. And so if you're wanting something a little bit different, uh, this is where you find it, um, as, as it couldn't be more different. Um, as we we jump ahead, or not jump ahead, we jump away from Earth completely to Uncanny X-Men 358 by Siegel and Bacalo as Bacalo returns. And again, I feel like I have a greater appreciation for Bacalo's artwork now than I ever did at the time, where we have Bishop who has, you know, he's been kind of stranded uh, with Death Bird. He was in really bad um, shape, but uh, she's been able to help him recuperate. And now they're kind of fighting again. It's too bad that this never really went enough places but it's them in space fighting against you know unspeakable odds um kind of developing a relationship between the two back when bishop actually had a character it was interesting um which which again it's too bad that bishop isn't really a good character anymore because he kind of got character assassinated uh which is really unfortunate uh but yeah here he's really cool um he's just a really cool character uh the way he's teamed up with Deathbird. Um, you know, it really makes you feel like they're really alone in the galaxy, and uh, if he'll ever get home, and eventually he would, obviously, and then eventually he'd end up, you know, having a time-spanning adventure, and then later on, even after that, he'd part of the XSC, and then he'd be a 
that, you know, a detective in M-Town. Like, he went through so many different permutations because it felt like once Onslaught happened, they didn't really know what to do with the character. In a lot of ways, I think they should have just killed him because after that, he didn't really have a purpose. He's kind of like Cable in that way, but Cable has remained a little bit more interesting, although maybe not in the last couple of years, actually. Uh, but Bishop, I think, struggled more so, and the writers really struggled in, as to what to do with him. Another thing that to point out from uh, 358 is that we also see the after effects of uh, X-Men 77 with Jean Grey getting kind of a, a psychic nudge because of what happened with Shadow King kind of taking over. Um, speaking of, so then we have X-Men 78, which is Cyborg Part 2 of 2. It's interesting that this big Shadow King storyline ended up being only two issues. Um, and it honestly felt like it was done done and, and over with really easily. Uh, but I always like the idea that Psylocke ends up not really being able to use her telepathy for a while because she uses it to lock down Shadow King, and that would change how the characters develop afterwards, um, which is kind of cool. And again, it's not a bad fight between the two. Um, very of the era, but still fun. Um, speaking of the ads, again, one thing I, as I mentioned, I love the focus on ads for the period. Um, there's a great house ad saying Marvel Heroes. Uh, this is giving an idea of what was happening at the same time. We had Avengers number seven, Live Queer Die at the conclusion by Kurt Busiek and George Perez. Uh, Fantastic Four number eight featuring the Captain Britain Corps. Iron Man number seven, Live Queer Die part one. And Captain America number eight, Live Queer Die part two. They never mentioned part three as in Quicksilver of all books. Uh, it's interesting that they never really mentioned it. There's also um, an ad here for uh, X-Men versus Street Fighter. Because that was just kind of on the horizon at PlayStation, which is cool as well. Um, and again, some more house ads that are fun. And I remember seeing this as a kid. I so wanted an MBNA America Spider-Man credit card. Uh, so jealous I never got to have that. Now, on the letters page, they make mention of, here's a sneak peek at two new characters you'll be seeing soon. Want to know who they are? Find out an Uncanny X-Men 360 and X-Men 80 on sale in August. Uh, and we're going to get there in just a few minutes. But uh, interesting to see kind of the development of these characters that they were kind of hyping up to be this new thing that was coming up. That's one thing that I liked about the letters pages is that not only did you get people kind of saying what they thought might be happening in continuity um, and pointing things out, etc., but also sometimes you get these kind of glimpses as to what might happen in the future. Um, next we have Uncanny X-Men 359, also by Siegel and Bacallo. Um Again, a lot of focus on Rogue here, and also on Jean Grey kind of, you know, freaking out as well. Rogue dealing with the idea that she wants to give up her powers, um, which is a theme we saw often in the TV show. Um, and then Jean as well, dealing with her own issues. Uh, it ends up being kind of a mystique Rogue issue, which is kind of cool to see um, as Rogue kind of comes to her senses and ends up not trying to lose her powers. Um, and her com camaraderie with Wolverine is kind of cool here as well as... Wolverine's almost kind of this quiet sage, which is interesting. At the last page of the issue on the letters page, they do have another sneak peek from X-Men 360, showing this new team kind of attacking. Uh, at the time, I don't think we really knew who the characters were, but we will soon learn who they are. Um, now, some of the Piccolo artwork here doesn't even feel like Piccolo. In fact, ah, that's why. It's also by Ryan Benjamin. Okay, and this issue is actually by Joe Kelly and Steve Siegel as writers, or both listed as writers, because they obviously were working together at this point. I like the cover, too. The Piccolo cover is pretty strong. It's a kind of an adorable looking look for Rogue, even though I really didn't like the costume of the period. When she went to just the um, the full green kind of bodysuit with like a little bit of white, Never and the weird gauntlets that I don't think really make a lot of sense. Uh, that brings us up to September's issue, issue 79 of X-Men, 
as it's called Legacy of the Morlocks with by Joe Kelly, artwork by let's see, Herman Garcia is, the, is a, once again the guest penciler. It's a, it's another um, marrow centric issue. I don't mind the marrow centric issues. It's interesting that they were really trying to develop who she was, her familiar relationship with uh, Callisto. Obviously, Callisto and Stormer's complicated relationship as well. Uh, marrow kind of dealing with maybe being a hero and, and not being who she was as part of Gene Nation. Storm trying to learn to put her, their differences aside and, and learn how to be a team and, and maybe trust each other. Mero's flirtation with uh, Cannonball. It's actually pretty interesting, except the artwork is awful. Just terrible. I mean, I like the story. The story is actually quite strong. I think, again, they were really trying to develop Mero and Maggot and Cecilia Reyes, but I think Mero was always the most successful of the three in terms of being a more interesting character to integrate into the X-Men. It's just unfortunate that it didn't end up working out as weird things would happen to her in the coming year. Uh, next up, Uncanny X-Men 360. Um, now this is the giant size milestone issue. It's part of the X-Men 35th anniversary. Um, on the cover, we see a group of what they look like X-Men. Who are they? What are they? Find out inside. There's a character that kind of looks like Beast, a character that looks like Jean Grey, but it's a man, a character that kind of looks like Angel and a cross between Angel and uh, Mystique, um, a Colossus-looking character, a character that looks like uh, Iceman, and a Havoc-looking character. Um, the artwork, again, by Bacallo. Um, and this was this was a big issue because it was the return of a few key X-Men who had been away for a while. Now, these characters, uh, we have the Grey King, who's, again, the Phoenix-like character, Crux, who's the Iceman-like character, Landslide, who's the Beast-like character, Chaos, who's the uh, Havoc-like character, uh, Rapture, who's the Angel-like character, and Mercury, who is the... Um, so I guess Chaos is kind of a Havoc-slash-Cyclops character. Um, and then you have Mercury, who's kind of the Colossus-ish character. Uh, it's interesting because the team that we, we returned to the X-Men, finally, after years away, Colossus, Kitty Pride, and... Um, and uh, oh my god, Nightcrawler. Um, which was kind of a big deal at the time. To bring them back for the 35th anniversary of the X-Men. Um, the art here by Bacallo, again, I really kind of enjoyed it. Here at this point, we don't know what happened to Xavier. Uh, Kitty Pryde gets abducted by these kind of new false X people calling themselves the X-Men. Um, you know, I it ended up not being nearly as interesting as people wanted it to be, and it ended up being kind of silly. But the first issue is really strong, because it looks like you have an Xavier-like character recruiting this new X-Men team. And I always thought the opening few pages of him kind of getting all these people to join his team was actually really cool. It ended up really not being that interesting, because this Xavier would end up being Cerebro, and the whole... All, the entire cast of X-Men characters here would end up being basically just, you know, I guess hard light projections, basically. So it's unfortunate because there was a lot of good potential here and ended up being something different. Um, so in the I think the first chapter is probably the most interesting chapter. But the second chapter is great, too. It's just at the very end when you're like, oh, that's all it is. That's unfortunate. Um, again, in the tradition of uh, top things I liked about um, the ads in the issue, we have an ad for... Marvel this August Hot Picks, uh, and it says Spider Girl number one, The Daughter of Spider Man by Tom DeFalco and Pat O'Leaf. A Next number one, The New Avengers by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. J Two number one, The Son of Juggernaut by Tom DeFalco and Ron Lim. Obviously, Tom DeFalco writing all of them. 
Uh, and I think it's part of what gives it such a classic feel to it, besides the fact that you have Pat O'Leaf and Ron Friends and Ron Lim are more classic-ish artists. Ron Lim, not as much, but the other two, definitely. And then also Spider-Man The Gathering of Five, a five-part crossover, which would which we've actually talked about on this podcast previously. Anyway, so that's uh, that's partic- this particular issue. And again, looking back on it, maybe it doesn't read as well in some areas because of what, what we know to come afterwards. But if you didn't know, I think it's actually kind of cool. Um, you know, the idea that you didn't know what happened to Xavier. Xavier had been taken off the board in, what, X-Men, I think, 38. So it had been almost 20 issues where he hadn't really been around. I mean, he'd been around kind of in Operation Zero Tolerance, but not really. And then he was just kind of disappeared and was gone. So it was kind of really interesting to see this look of, oh, is he back and is he recruiting these other X-Men and why? Um, again, it ended, if you know what happens at the end of the storyline and what ends up happening with the Shrewbro character, it's not nearly as interesting. But um, at the time, it was really kind of thrilling. Um, and then we have X-Men 80, also a giant-sized milestone issue. Uh, a Team Reunited, A Dream Reborn by Joe Kelly and Brandon Peterson with artwork in the cover, I believe, by Pacheco, and it's a fantastic cover. It was actually a lot of posters that, that year. Uh, the Peterson artwork is not as nearly as stylized as it would get in the future, although, man, he makes hair look great. Um, um, so this is obviously the second half of the previous issue with the X-Men having been kind of taken out by uh, the false X-Men, and then they have to kind of find a way to track them back to their home base, rescue Kitty Pride, and be able to stop them, even though they have their own injuries in the meantime. Uh, they're able to kind of stop the, um, the alternate X-Men's uh, plan. There's also a cool spot where Rogue uh, assimilates a little bit from a various different characters and is able to then fly up into space. Although, and one thing I didn't understand in this issue is, and maybe I just missed something, and maybe I wasn't reading carefully enough in the previous issue, but where does the the Blackbird goes down, and yet somehow Rogue has her Shi'ar mining costume, even though she's been wearing her green kind of hooded garb in the last few issues. I'm not complaining because it's a much better look for her, but it's just interesting that that's where they go with it. She touches a bunch of the X-Men, flies up into space. I thought I always thought it was a really cool sequence because it's her kind of thinking about all the different things in her life and realizing like she's thinking about all these things that aren't even her because of who she's just recently touched. We then find out about Cerebro, um, the fault, the, this false Xavier, and all these kind of this false X-Men all get uh, assimilated back into Cerebro himself. Again, it's kind of a letdown because the storyline was so cool up until that point. And now what's interesting is at the very end of the issue, there's a two-page spread saying a vision of things to come. And apparently this was based on a, a story idea that was accepted and at the last minute um, taken away, is that we would end up the following year getting a Magneto War storyline where you finally have Joseph versus Magneto. Now, before that was the case, before they decided they were going to give him Genosha, Magneto Genosha in the, in the X-Books, they were going to have it be that they kind of reversed the polarity of the poles and suddenly there was going to be like an ice age on Earth, kind of, and then they were going to have to avert it. So this last page here is a cool art uh, splash of what the characters would look like in their kind of, I guess, tundra gear. Although, really, Storm still has bare arms, so that doesn't make any sense. Everyone else is, is like, like, you know, wearing a lot of layers, and you can tell they're all bundled up, except for Storm. I guess it's because she's attuned to the elements, and maybe they won't bother her as much, but it looks kind of stupid, unfortunately. Uh, so that is the giant-sized milestone issue of uh, X-Men number 80. Um, it's interesting, I mean, we talk about price. We don't, I don't often talk about the prices of comics, but it's interesting that at the time, 
most regular issues seem to be going for about in U.S. about one ninety nine in Canada because of the exchange at the time, which was pretty bad, um, which would only get worse in the coming years. Uh, it was two dollars and eighty cents. Uh, now this d- giant size milestone issue was three ninety nine U.S. So basically double the cover price. But uh, and so, I mean, looking at it from a Canadian perspective, I bought this five dollars and sixty cents. That's more expensive than buying an issue now. Um, I buy a comic now, well, for a while, and they, they re- took away the split pricing, so I'm only paying three ninety nine. So it's interesting that over the last, you know, ten or fifteen years, prices in comics in Canada have actually, in some ways, gone down. Um, because I was paying, you know, on a regular comic, two eighty in nineteen ninety eight when it was already eighty cents more than my, you know. Um, all my uh, respective fans in the in the states, and then it only got worse in the early two thousands. I remember paying three seventy five, four twenty five for an issue that was maybe two ninety nine, and I remember hearing, you know, I was on message boards and people be complaining about the price of comics going up, and I'm like, that's nothing. Uh, our comics are so much more expensive because of our shitty dollar, uh, which is only getting worse as we speak. Uh, next up is Uncanny X-Men 361. It still has the brand of the X-Men 35th anniversary, and it's because you demanded it, The Return of Gambit. Um, we have Steve Siegel writing it again, and Steve Scrosh. Sorry, my bad. Um, uh, Steve Siegel and Story. Sorry, I thought because it says Story, there might be someone else doing scripts, but uh, there is not. Uh, Steve Scrosh on um, Pencils, who... Now, i got to admit, like at times it doesn't even look like his artwork here. Um, not the strongest story, and the whole Return of Gambit... Um, isn't as interesting as it could have been, and it feels very like out of nowhere, considering where when he last showed up, you know, a year earlier when he was left in the Antarctic basically to die. Um, the whole there's a whole juggernaut, and um, there's a whole juggernaut storyline here with Black Tom, and it is rough to get through. And part of it's the art, part of it is that the art is really painful to look at. Um, I was just never a huge fan of Scrooge. On X-Men, I liked him more when he was on Amazing Spider-Man. It just something about it felt better. Uh, here, it just something about it just looks messy and not concise at all. The cover's nice, though. I mean, the covers I am pretty sure not by him, so maybe that's why. Um, and it's a nice cover, even though the interior again would kind of be a bit of a letdown. Uh, next up is X-Men '81: Rogue and Gambit reunited, but will it be in death? Um, no, no, it won't. Um, so this particular issue, written by, let's see, Joe Kelly, with artwork by Adam Kubert, so it looks great. Um, yeah, especially his take on Gambit, like it looks really cool. It was really nice to have him on here. There's um, a one-page ad here for a book that I loved, which I always felt was uh, unduly canceled early. Um, it's uh, for Slingers Number One, which was on sale October 1998. I should do a flashback to that at some point. I love that title. I don't know if it necessarily holds up that well, but at the time, when I was 15 years old, freaking loved it. Um, so the ad just says, uh, Dusk, everyone thinks she's dead. Could you rave from beyond the grave? Prodigy, every team needs a leader, but would you follow someone on the edge? Um, this is sl- who are the slingers is in the middle. Uh, Ricochet, he just found out he's a mutant. Who could you trust with this secret? Hornet, it's the only suit that has any, it's only the suit that has any power. Is that all you need to be a hero? So, it was... C- I always liked the concept. And it was back to the issue at hand. Again, a lot of character building. Uh, you have this Kali character show up out of nowhere that uh, Rogue and Gambit have to fight together. Uh, the rest of the X-Men kind of have a bit of a down down uh, time issue uh, in terms of what they're doing. Uh, again, Rogue is back in that you know bl- uh, green and white costume. 
And at the very end, it looks like uh, maybe Gambit's made a deal that he shouldn't have with Kali, um, which I don't think he's ever really followed up on. And I think at the time as well, Gambit had just gotten his own ongoing book, so there was a lot kind of going on. Uh, then we have the, uh, I like that they used to say this, the Wizard Fan Award 1998 winner. Uh, December, uh, Uncanny X-Men 362. It's the Hunt for Xavier, Part 1 of 6. Um, so this is the search for Professor X begins here. I'm surprised it took to this long to finally be hunting for him. Um, part 1 is by Siegel and Bacallo. Um, and, uh, and it looks like Pyro is you know dying. He's wants Xavier, I guess, to help his abilities. Um, you have... Man, I'm just looking at this. I'm like, what the hell is happening? Like, you have the X-Men kind of talking to Nick Fury about looking for Xavier. Um, you you know, and again, we don't know where Xavier is at this point. The X-Men are trying to figure out how to find him. You have a Gambit worrying about Kali kind of corrupting his mind. Um, the X-Men going up against Pyro, um, who is at this point dying of the legacy virus. And uh, he's looking... And this is the second time... Remember, he was in 351 and now in 362 where he looks like he's dying at the end and then he disappears suddenly, which is kind of funny. And again, the, uh, the X-Men are searching for Xavier and we also find out that Cerebro is also looking for Xavier. Um, and so that leads us to Un for Xavier Part 2. Now, it's interesting. This is actually going to be collected in a trade paperback uh, this summer. Um, surprised that of all the stuff that Marvel could collect, they're collecting the Hunt for Xavier, but I'm sure they have some sort of weird, funky reason. Uh, issue two of this is written by Joe Kelly, artwork again by Adam Kubert. So he is a busy little monkey. Uh, it says, what is the secret of the two Xavier's? So there's two different um, Xavier biosignatures, so they're searching for. Um, again, some of this just feels like a video game where they have to go to different places, and then there's a kind of mini-boss battles uh, on the way to kind of the, um, the main goal. And that kind of feels like what we get here, because... You know, they're going. For, they're looking for Xavier. They end up in some weird, like, ice place, and then something, you know, kind of goes into their minds, and they're being assaulted mentally. They're able to escape it. Then they find um, uh, a member of, what are they? Not the Neo. Something else. This character from, um, if you read the X-Men Onslaught one-shot, you see these two characters who are also looking for Char Charles Xavier. And then we have Cerebro show up, and... He's also looking for Xavier uh, and trying to, and now he looks much worse than he looked previously. And again, he doesn't even really make sense because if you look at the design for um, for Cerebro, it makes a little bit more sense in the like X Men sixty uh, or sorry X Men eighty. But then by X Men eighty two, he looks terrible. And again, fluctuating artists, the visuals are going to change. It's just unfortunate when they there's no consistency and it just looks kind of awful. Um, the storyline at the end of the day would be interesting in terms of going up against Cerebro, trying to find Xavier, Xavier kind of leading a different brotherhood. You know, there's some cool concepts in there. Um, it just it ended up coming out as quite messy and feeling like there was a lot of extraneous elements put into the crossover that didn't even really need to be there. Um, anyways, that is basically 998 for the X-Men. It had its highs and its lows. I feel like the... Uh, the first half of the year maybe had more highs. The second half felt a little bit more lows. But again, I really did enjoy some of those issues with Bacala's artwork. Um, the Uncanny X-Men, you know, 360 and 
uh, X-Men 80, as much as it ends up being invalidated in, by the very end of X-Men 80, up until then it was actually quite interesting. So, anyways, that is our episode. So if you want to email me, you can do so at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and post in our H.E. Realms thread as well when that goes up. Uh, next episode will obviously be a reviews episode. I'm not sure when it's going to be able to go up because uh, in Canada, or at least in Ontario where I'm from, we have a uh, family day on uh, Monday, um, which is, I guess, the I think the 16th of February. So um, it means it's a holiday day, which means probably not enough time to podcast because when you have a family, it's just not on the table. So we'll see when the next episode goes up. Episode 246, at some point, I do plan on finally sitting down and watching Justice League Throne of Atlantis. And I'm trying to do it with my wife, which is part of why I keep putting it off. But at some point, I hope to do an episode focusing on it. And then again, I hope to have a Heroclix episode at some point, too. And also to have, um, at some point, uh, Leonor Lana and maybe Paul Scorez and Nathan Strzok on different episodes. They probably won't all be on one episode, but I hope to have them all back on the on the show at some point in some manner or fashion. Anyways, thank you for joining me for this episode, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>